This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Welcome to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. I'm your host, Melissa Rao, and this podcast is a conversation on the Four Faith weekly devotional sent out every Friday. You can find a link to this week's Four Faith and a link to subscribe to Four Faith in the episode's description. Bishop, your devotion this week called Valley hit me square in the gut. Um, I read it as a lament, and I just wanted to start off by saying that I'm lamenting with you. Um, it's, it's been a long week. The world lost Dante Wright. And uh, the jury is currently deliberating a verdict for Derek Chauvin. Yes. And I'm wondering if we can have an honest dialogue about what the hell is going on in our country concerning race. (laughs) (laughs) Well, absolutely. I mean, that's sort of the point of of you and I meeting here and uh, just creating a space for other people to listen in and hopefully maybe even uh, impact, enlighten uh, conversations that are happening beyond this podcast. Yeah. So I don't typically post much on Facebook nowadays, uh, yet I couldn't. I could not, I couldn't not say something about Dante Wright. Yeah. So I posted something welcoming dialogue with people who doubt that racism was to blame. Yeah. And I had one person push back real hard. Um, and I, I think we might've generated like 60 comments between our back and forth. <laughs> and I'm struck by the way people read data and statistics. So basically he was sticking up for police you know, and, and white people, you know, well, the same amount of white people are arrested as black people and the same, uh, there's more white people who are shot than black people. And what this guy failed to recognize was that there are four to five times, almost five times more white people in this country than there are people of color, like a lot. Right. African-Americans make up somewhere between 12 to 13% of the American population. Right. Not even 14%. And so I, you know, I'm struck by the way people interpret and they look at data and say, this is fact. Kind of like we look at the Bible (laughs) and we just have different lenses. And so, you know, when we talk about the valley being in the valley, when there are different people lamenting different things, it's really hard to come together united. That's right. And I'm wondering if you can just share a little bit about what Psalm 23 really hit you. Well, yeah, I mean, Psalm 23 is that, is that, piece of the Bible that I've, I've known since I was a child. It was given to me as a gift as a child, an odd gift to give to a child. Uh, it's a gift that my wife and I have given to our children. That's if my kids had to sort of just spout off what they, what they sort of know from their, you know, heart and gut, uh, it would be the uh, Psalm 23. Um, it would also be the prayer of St. Francis, but um, it, it, it has been, you know, it was sort of given to me as sort of the, uh, as an African-American sort of, uh, you know, set of marching orders, you know, it was, it was, it was colored for us. It was, it was, it was given as a, as a friend, especially to black and brown people in this country, the Psalm 23 in the valley of the shadow of death and, and, and having a table set for you in the presence of enemy, all of, all of those, uh, you know, lines of of that psalm were given uh to me as a young african-american kid uh as 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 um a companion uh given to us uh in a country that we love but doesn't seem to love us as much as we love it uh and so and so yeah so i mean when i when the lesson came up that it was psalm 23 uh right on the heels of dante Wright being killed uh, by a police officer, an unarmed, uh, unarmed young man 
uh, being killed by yet another white police officer. Uh, sadly, you know, uh, I had a lot to say about it, and uh, I do have a lot to say about it. Um, I think Psalm 23, uh, it uh, conveys and it, it seeks to articulate weariness. Uh, it, it seeks to articulate the, the, the real and present danger. Um, I, I think it, it also paints a picture that um, the valley of the shadow of death is a, is, is a constant a companion as well as God is a constant companion. Um, it's an overhanging cloud, um, and you've got to find your way sort of through it. Um, I think the truth of the matter is, is that we live, uh, just as a general matter, race aside for a second, a lot of feel, people feel like they live in valleys more than they do on mountaintops. Mountaintops are the exception. And so, so you know, the psalmist is, is trying to help all of us. But I think particularly my point is, is that Af- for African-Americans, people black and brown, and I would say even for people who are poor uh, and even white and poor, I would say um, many know America as a valley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I might have been a little snarky and said, how do you define third world country? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and of course, that that is an exceptionally outdated term and it, a, a, a classist one, too, like just the the sheer classism behind first world, second world and third world is not right. But uh, sometimes it feels like we're in one. Well, interestingly enough, <clears throat> as I prepared for this was to just sort of go back to what is it actually, you know, in terms of topography, uh, in terms of geography, what is a valley? It's a depressed area of land that has been scoured and washed out by the conspiring forces of gravity, water, and ice. So in other words, these forces have somehow worked together to carve out this sort of low area. And I, and I think that is clear. I mean, I, I think some of us are individually are waking up to this. I think some organizations are waking up to this. Uh, interestingly enough, the CDC and other institutions now are putting forth research that says that, you know, racism, uh, white supremacy has created a health condition, right? So we're beginning to substantiate uh, and support this notion that there's something going on in this country that is atmospheric, right? It's more than the individual acts of a few bad actors, right? There's something uh, atmospheric that is happening here that has been happening here since 1619, at least 1619, the year before the pilgrims got here, that, that, that we are still trying to figure out our way through. And um, we see it uh, come alive again and again and again uh, as black and brown people are being policed, Right? They're being policed at the edges uh, of of of, uh, of of societies. You know, on those on those fault lines where the two societies come together, black and brown, white and white, uh, or black and brown and poor, and white and privileged or wealthy. It, you know, that line has to be policed. That wall has to be reinforced, so to speak, uh, and by any means necessary. And so that is happening again and again, and it has happened. My point in the in the article, the the, uh, the bit I wrote was is that I'm 57 years old, right? And so there is a weariness for us who have lived and watched that line, lived on that line and watched that line for, you know, me, you know, not quite six decades. And, and there are other people who've lived on that line longer. And so it's not just one more isolated incident when we think about Dante Wright or, 
uh, George Floyd or, you know, anybody else. I mean, when we see Dante Wright, we think of Emmett Till, right? And when we see Emmett Till, we think about those nameless, placeless people who are dangling from trees all through the American South. And so, you know, whenever we see these um, new reminders, you know, we can't help but, but go back and realize that there's a long line of black and brown people, male and female, uh, who have been mistreated uh, by the people who are sworn uh, to protect and serve. And let, let me say this, Melissa, as well. I think it'll be easy for some people to dismiss me um, uh, based, on, based on this meditation uh, as someone who doesn't appreciate uh, law enforcement or hates law enforcement. And you couldn't be more wrong. Uh, I am the only uh, religious figure in Atlanta who was asked to preside at the graduation of APD two times in a row. Backed by popular demand, I was asked to be by the, by the police chief, right? So I was, I'm the guy who went along, uh, you know, did a ride along with police officers and spent time with police officers and got their side of things. And so nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, in, in fact, what I would say is, is that in my conversations with police officers, at the highest level, these kinds of uh, uh, occurrences, murders, abuses, um, misuse of authority and power uh, are, are good cops' worst nightmare. That's right. And, and I don't think we say that enough. I think what is easy for some people to do is to just sort of say, oh, if, you're, if you sort of acknowledge Dante Wright in this instance or George Floyd in that instance and others, uh, Breonna Taylor and so on, then somehow that makes you anti-law enforcement. And that's just silly. Yeah, I agree. And we're better than that argument. No, the argument is, is what does it take to get more good cops on the street? Yeah. Well, and that even that term to me is complicated. Yeah. Good cop. Yeah. You know, <laughs> because I, you know, I, I think it's horrible. I'm, I, I'm going to, I hope I don't offend anybody and say this, not that I'm defending, I'm not defending the white officer who killed Dante. Um, I'm not, I believe that it was racism and, and she doesn't even know it really. So like, I believe that racism is a very complicated and complex system. It's a social construct and that many of us just live into it because of our implicit bias and what she saw, she felt threatened and she felt threatened because I believe Dante is a person of color. And, um, I think it's complicated. Does she, is she sorry? 100%. Well, immediately, I mean, immediately you saw her response, right? Yes. And so, and so I think this, you know, in, in fact, in some ways, this is a great argument for for this this notion of uh, racism being atmospheric right just being yeah, yeah. In, in the air you know i i think you know i i'm not surprised uh given you know given our culture in america why some members of the american family would immediately look on black and brown bodies especially male bodies especially black male young bodies as dangerous and criminal because that's what they have been portrayed to be dominantly, at least in my lifetime and beyond. Exactly. So, so, I mean, I mean, let's just call it what it is. I mean, if, you know, if, if it's constantly presented, you know, presented to you uh, as a duck, 
Is it any surprise that when you see one, you'll think it's a duck? Exactly. So, so, so that is, you know, so we've criminalized bodies, uh, particular, a particular part of our, our, uh, our American family, and we've criminalized them. We've said that they are most often criminals, uh, and, uh, and we've decided to fix ourselves on that narrative rather than, you know, the valor in every war. First person killed in the American Revolution was a black man, Crispus Attucks. Uh, and on and on and on and on and on, even though uh, we participate in all this sort of stuff, we come back home and literally uh, people came home from World War II, uh, in particular, black men came home from World War II and were lynched uh, for wearing the uniform after serving this country and serving democracy all over the globe. And so, you know, uh, you, you know, the, the, it's the narrative that we're most comfortable with. It's the narrative that that is most frequent. And so it's not surprising. And I would also say this. I would also say I think that for police officers, having been in the company of police officers, had long conversations, very candid conversations with police officers, I also recognize the cumulative effect of living on the edge year after year after year after year. And when I think you put that uh, next to uh, this atmospheric sense of race uh, that that sort of that, that makes, uh, you know, black men uh, criminal and dangerous, I think you have a very toxic stew. And I think that we're seeing that again and again and again and again. Um, you know, these uh, officers are underpaid and overworked. They're being asked to do things they're not trained to do. They're being asked to be uh, 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 therapists. Uh, they're being asked to be, you know, sociologists. Uh, you know, so, I mean... There is there is that part of it. You know, there are some people who in the face of Dante Wright and uh, in response to Dante Wright and George Floyd, you know, abolish the police. I'm not one of those people. I think that's ridiculous personally. But what I want to do is, is that I want to resource police officers right adequately. I want to train. I want to purge their ranks. Uh, you know, I think that's part of the of the equation. And I want to get acknowledged the fact that uh, there is this thing called systemic racism, and it has been part and parcel of the American equation from the outset. That's right. Well, friends, we'll be back uh, with more conversation after a short break. Thanks for listening to Four People. We encourage listeners to subscribe and follow Bishop Wright on Instagram and Facebook. You'll get updates including guest episodes like most recently having a conversation with presiding Bishop Michael Curry. And now back to four people. Gosh, Bishop. (laughs) Um, I'm laughing and it's not funny. I just, I, I, sometimes I just don't know what to say because a lot of people get very up in arms about the police. And I'm, I'm grateful that you said what you said about supporting good police. Um, and, and yet I'm, I, I'm sitting here angry because of the number of people who are so indignant about the loss of a police officer. Um, and I don't even know where this, where this belongs in this conversation. I, I, I believe police officers receive hazard pay. Is that correct? Well, that I don't know. I mean, I think every dollar that they receive is hazard pay, but I don't know if they yeah. have a, I don't know if there's a special a special I th- yeah. benefit. I think I think they do. And I could be wrong. And I'm sorry, I'd be happy for anybody to correct me via social media. 
because I like to be in the know. Um, we lost 40, I think 40 some police officers last year um, due to felonious acts. And I know that sounds like a lot because anybody shouldn't have to go to work and worry about being killed. Um, I just wish the world, our country would lament as equally when a black person dies at the hands of a police, an unarmed person of color dies at the hands of the police as much as they do when one police officer falls in the line of duty. And the juxtaposition between the two is shocking to me. And I know I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm dreading and anticipating the verdict for, um, Chauvin and I'm, I'm Chauvin. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about what you think the church's response could or should be, regardless of what that verdict is. Well, I mean, before I before I get there, what I want to say is is that yeah, you know, sadly there's always compare, you know, competitive suffering, right? So I would love for our country to be a country where we can lament, you know, all death. We can weep both with people like Dante Wright's family. Uh, and George Floyd's family, as well as weeping with, uh, you know, the families of slain uh, police officers. I do want to say also that police officers are vested with, you know, with a certain authority. And I, I think that's part of this equation. Part of this equation is where we feel like something sacred uh, has been violated, misused, abused. And I think that's part of this conversation as well, is, is that there is this, there is a notion uh, wrapped up in all of this is that someone who was supposed to be better, to be more noble, right, to be fair, uh, has uh, has somehow conspired with uh, other forces and uh, and diminished, uh, you know, the office uh, by uh, participating in uh, unequal protection and unequal service. So I want to I want to say that. Um, but I also want to say, yeah, I, I don't know what the church's response has got to be uh, when it comes to, you know, the verdict uh, for former officer Chauvin. I, I do think that the, it's part of the church's uh, difficult job to proclaim the dignity of everybody. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, so I, I what, what I pray is, is that uh, uh, people who are baptized and, and call themselves Christian and struggle like me to try to follow Jesus We'll try to find the middle. And the middle is, in my opinion, going to be uh, uh, trying to affirm the dignity of everybody in this in this situation. Um, you know, I, I think there's real healing. I think there's real woundedness and try to try to tend to some of that. I'm hoping that people will uh, take our advice that we've given out some some months ago about how to participate, you know, and make our country better now by being very careful how we use social media over these kinds of times. Uh, I've, I think that we can have real p opinions. We can have real thoughts. Um, uh, but I, I just want us to take the common good into consideration. My, my hope is, is, is that, uh, you know, if uh, Officer Chauvin is found guilty, uh, that he will be remanded to custody and he will serve uh, out the sentence that he is given. Uh, my hope is for the Floyd family is, is that, uh, that this will be one step uh, in their healing. Uh, their family member will never be replaced. Uh, but I'm hoping that, that this will be one step. And I'm hoping also this will be a sign and a signal to police forces and police officers all around the country that the page has turned now 
and that this this blue wall uh, that is sometimes uh, uh, kept uh, justice at bay uh, is no longer going to keep justice at bay. That that no one is above the law, uh, and so I'm I'm hoping for really constructive um, uh, things to come out of this. Uh, I'm I'm hoping that there'll be no destruction of property. I'm hoping there'll be no destruction of cities, because all this does is work against you know the more noble cause, and that is to reform policing in all the ways that it needs to be reformed, uh, and to uh, and to get protect and serve to be you know equal across our country. Right. Well, one of my favorite bands of all time is U2. I love them yeah, with all my heart. Yeah. <laughs> They wrote a song with Bob, uh, Bob Dylan called Love Rescue Me. Um, it's one of my favorites because it's, I think, maybe so desperate. But Bishop, I just say, come on, love. Love, rescue us. <laughs> we need it. Yeah. Yeah, we do. You know, but, you know, as, as the, I know uh, what the presiding bishop would hurry up to add there would be to say, you know, not only do we need love to rescue us, but we, we've also got to uh, help love rescue us, right? We've got to, we've got to decide on love, uh, and and not that syrupy, you know, sort of uh, you know, call, you know, Valentine's Day stuff. But but we need the stuff that has decided not to hate. We need that kind of love that decides not to hate. We need the kind of love that decides that uh, I can love enemy. I can pray for enemy. I can bless those who despitefully use me. Bless those who curse me. That kind of love, the kind of the kind of love that our founder Jesus Christ actually lived out. So, if if that's the love we want to partner with, and that's the love that we need to rescue us, then there's hope. But anything less than that, I think, is just going to be, you know, we're going to go, we're going to be here again and again and again. You know, w- one of the things that I said in the in the uh, meditation was, is is that you know the thing about God is is that before you get to a mountaintop, you got to deal with valleys. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we're tempted to do, even now with uh, Adam Toledo and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and Dante Wright, and the list goes on and on and on, is to deny it, uh, diminish it, or or uh, uh, to make uh, you know a euphemism out of it. And I think all of those are avoidance strategies. And until more of us recognize that we have a problem right? We're never going to make any progress, but we've got a problem here and it, and it's, it, it defies easy answers and it defies just castigating everybody. And it's going to take the people of love. I think the people of good cheer and good faith to find a way to make some progress. That's right. Well, Bishop, thank you so much. Thank you listeners for listening to four people with Bishop Rob Wright. You can keep up with us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. Please subscribe, leave a review, and we'll be back with you next week.